Hello and welcome to Coach Rich Rants, real takes, raw feedback, unedited and unscripted views of what's happening in youth sports, in soccer, both in the U.S. and in my local community. I will be bringing to you different takes from the perspective of either a parent of an athlete, of a player, of a coach, or as a club director and administrator. Having worn every one of those hats, I'll try to bring to you these takes from each of those perspectives. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to the latest edition of Coach Rich Rants. Uh, today, I want to talk about uh, an item that's uh, pretty topical, just based on the time of the year. Um, yesterday or last weekend marked the time of the year where where I live in Western Pennsylvania, we changed the clocks uh, back one hour, um, signifying the end of daylight savings. And that typically signifies the end of the fall outdoor soccer season for club sports, um, as well as for high school sports. Um, the local high schools this weekend in Western Pennsylvania participated in the equivalent, what are the equivalent of the district championships. And they, those that were victorious will now move on to the the state tournament uh, to determine who the best teams are in the state uh, based on the size of the school that they're in and uh, based on the classification of the school that and sport that they participate in. So with that ends the end of a lot of high school uh, soccer seasons. Uh, junior high and middle school soccer programs through the school have been completed now probably for a week or two. And the fall seasons for club soccer, uh, for players that are you know up to probably U14 or eighth grade, uh, that also came to a conclusion. And now we will see a big move to the indoor training cycle. Um, unfortunately, because of the way club sports works and the way soccer works, you I call it an indoor training cycle, but it is really just a continuation of the season. Um, and more kids than not participate in extra teams and get more games. So um, while they should be um, training more than they play in games, um, if the U.S. Development Academy systems model is correct in that uh, when you have the time spent, 80% of the time should be spent on development and training and 20% of the time should be spent on meaningful competitions. For athletes and, and, and just kids, um, from a gross motor skill development perspective, under the age of uh, 12 should be spending 80% of their time on skill acquisition and 20% of their time on um, competitive um, outcomes. Uh, that's just not something that happens a lot in, in my market. So uh, what I want to do is I don't want to ruffle too many feathers, although I might, because I know there's a lot of people in the same business I am, which is uh, youth sports performance coaching, uh, guys that teach kids, um, you know, extra stuff. Um, it's not about that. It's not an indictment on that. And it's really more of an education, I think, hopefully for parents and even coaches around what should be going on at this time of the year based on the age of the kids that you're training. And the most important part of that is what is the most appropriate based on the age of the kids that you're training? Because it is not one size fits all. What you do for a nine-year-old is not the same thing that you do for a 15 or 16-year-old. And that is very contrary to popular opinion among a lot of coaches and even among parents. And I know this because I have a son who's now 17 years old. He's a senior in high school. And I was his primary coach from the time he was four years old till he was 14. Then he went to the U.S. Development Academy system. And so for the past three years, he's participated in that training with other coaches. But I, on occasion, typically on weekends, train with him individually. And so I have 
parents that bring their kids to my stuff and I like them and they're great kids and they're great parents. And they ask me like, Hey, I would like you to train my son the way you train your son. Well, my son is now 17 years old and only starting in about this summer. Was he physically big enough for me to go one-on-one against him in any meaningful way where I could actually go in and play hard against him? Because before that, it wasn't appropriate for someone that outweighed him by 50, 60, or 70 pounds who's much stronger physically than him to go against him really hard one-on-one. You know, now he's my height. He's, he's, he's certainly much lighter than I am. But when I go against him, I can actually go against him physically when we do that part of his training. But I would never train a nine or 10 year old the same way I would train him. And, and, and I try to explain to him like, well, the way I train him is differently is different now than I trained him when he was your son's age. And what I'm doing and what I've done in the training that I've developed over the last 10 years is he was basically my my biggest guinea pig. Like I used him. I created a lot of programs and I used him sort of as that first student to go through the training to see how effective it was, to see how much he could tolerate you know, without it being not appropriate to his age. Um, And it was amazing to see what a kid and what little kids can pick up on when you teach it the right way. And and that, in a lot of cases, is just through demonstration. So that's a little bit of a backdrop. So let's talk a little bit about what kids should be doing. So let's go back first and talk about what kids should be doing at their age based on long-term player development and trying to help a player develop long-term athletic potential. Right. So that's over the course of their lifetime, not just as an athlete when they're during their sporting career from, you know, ages zero to six. You know, parents are encouraged to have their kids play a minimum of 60 minutes a day, unorganized free play. That's throwing sticks and chasing sticks. That's, you know, throwing a ball at each other. That's doing whatever it is, you know, whatever it is that they do. And it's really to start to create kids and teach kids how to be active. And the activity level should be about 60 minutes a day at a minimum. Okay. And most kids, if they do any sports, it's maybe through the YMCA, they'll start like with a recreational program. And you know, that goes up to six. So six to nine is like that next, that next um, level. And six to nine year olds are getting introduced to sports. They're getting introduced to teams. And the primarily the focus should be on, even if they're playing a sport, should be on you know, gross motor skill development, body movement, functional movement of their body, balance, coordination, agility, free play, flexibility, right? You're really helping these kids just learn how to move their bodies. And when they become, you know, 10 years old through 13, then you're getting a little bit more focused again on motor skills, but contrary to, you know, a lot of opinion, it's still really about movement. It still should be about functional training. It still should be about balance, coordination, agility, but it gets a little bit more sophisticated. You know, so, you know, from six to nine years old, they call it learning the fundamental motor skills with the key emphasis being on the fun. So when you teach somebody to skip or to do high knees or to jump, you know, the idea is to teach it to them, demonstrate it, allow them to do it, and then make some sort of a game or competition out of it because that's what makes it fun for the kids. So, but still at six to nine years old, the foundation of it is really still on development of the gross motor skills. That's running, skipping, whether that's backpedaling, shuffling, 
teaching them to gallop. A lot of what used to be taught 20, 30 years ago in phys ed, which isn't often being taught in phys ed because they've cut back so much on the phys ed programs, is now something that needs to be taught you know, in a sporting environment and still something that's very important for them to learn. Kids need to learn their use their bodies. They need to learn how to move left and move right, catch their balance, you know, and, and development of the gross motor skills does that. Okay. So as you get to be nine years old, which is really about when club soccer starts. So for the kids coming indoor for the first time, you may have them, you know, added to an extra day of training or a skill development training. And I still think that for that age, that if they do any additional training outside of their team, it should be on skill acquisition. And if it is on fitness, well, I wouldn't even call it fitness, but if it's on teaching the kids to train, it should be really on, again, those, those you know, motor skills, object manipulation is something. Um, then you, you start to introduce things like landing, jumping, bounding, more complex balance and coordination. But that really should be it, right? So... If you think about what's starting to happen and even what parents are asking for, they're watching these older teams train, they're watching these older teams play, and they want their kids at seven or eight years old to be training at the same level. So basically, you've got these kids that are in high school who are basically doing physics. And they've already gone through elementary school and they've already gone through middle school and they've learned first, you know, general science, right? Biology or whatever the science is. Or or maybe you're asking them to learn calculus like you learned in high school. So the first thing they learned, those kids in high school, was you know, addition, subtraction, general arithmetic. Then they learned algebra before they got to calculus. And today you've got coaches and you've even got parents that are looking for kids who are basically in elementary school to be learning calculus with sports player development. And it's just not – doesn't make sense. Um, and, and what should happen at this age is, again, it should be about balanced co coordination, object manipulation. So that translates into stopping, starting, running, jumping, and doing it with a ball if they're playing soccer, for instance. And that's really what's important. And when the kids then turn 10, and from the ages of 10 to 13 years old, they go to that kind of next level. And then you're talking, you're teaching kids actually how to physically train? How do they approach training in general? Um, and they're not teaching them. They're not, you're not training them for performance at that age. You're actually teaching them the habits that they need to develop to learn how to train the right way. And so from 10 to 13, if you watch any internet blog, if you watch a lot of these guys on, on Instagram, I mean, I have an Instagram page and people post all the time their workouts that they're doing. And some of the workouts that kids are doing at 10, 11 years old is very complex. And guess what? The kids can do it. Sure, they can absolutely do it. But is it the right thing for them to do? Well, it's really not, according to doctors, according to science, according to sports scientists, according to like, you know, go look up the Mayo Clinic, go look up any kind of, you know, the National Association for Sports Medicine or forget what it's called. But saying that you shouldn't be introducing some of those things to kids at that age because they need to just start to learn how to train, learn how to get stretched, learn how to warm up properly, you know, and learn how to go through a basic training system and take it seriously. But again, it's still not you're tr learning to train and you're not training for a performance. So one of the things that happens between 10 and 13 in some kids is they start to develop and they start to physically mature. And during that time, they need it's more important for them to sleep 
eat well and be hydrated as it is for them to get extra training. And so many kids miss out on the eat, sleep and hydration because of how busy their schedules are, you know, between the ages of 10 and 13. And at the ages of 13 and 14, that's where you see a big separation of players primarily because of physical maturity. And that is the most important time when a player is developing to cut back on their training, not to add to their training, not to maximize the amount of work they're doing, because that could actually stunt or retard their growth or their potential development. And if you don't believe me, look it up and look at what uh, they're doing in England, where they're studying the kids' growth and they're cutting back in their academies on their training during that peak growth stage of their life. And when kids are 13 and 14, they're starting to be introduced into maybe how to train a little bit more um, functionally. And the training is still functional in nature and is plyometric based and should still be on body weight training. You should not really be focused on any kind of weight training or putting any kind of resistant load on an athlete's spine or joint until they've hit or have gone through um, puberty or uh, maturity. And, you know, teaching kids to train, like for girls who tend to have higher incident rates of ACL injuries and when they get into high school, starting to work on body movement, muscle balance between um, um, flexibility and strength of the hamstrings and of the um, quadricep muscles and doing activities that are bounding in nature, jumping in nature, landing in nature, stopping and starting in nature, changing of direction in nature when they're younger, all without weights, all without machines, all without equipment, will help them develop the muscles and the stability as they need in their joints to hopefully prevent those kinds of injuries. There's very specific programming when girls become 13 or 14 years old, all around ACL injury prevention, and then girls start to carry that forward into their lives. However, the earlier you start that multi-directional training, jumping, bounding, leaping, landing, that will be really important for the um, development of the muscles and the joints that are required to hopefully carry them into later life. And when their bodies start to change and they become more physically strong, it hopefully prevents some of the injuries that happen from a muscle imbalance. So when the kids are 14 to 15 years old, that's where you're actually treating and training kids how to start to train to compete. So they're not training to win yet, but they're training to compete. So the training is more purposeful and it's for competition. And you still want to work on things. Maybe you want to include resistance, like resistant bands in your training. Again, more leaping, bounding, plyometric, body weight type of events. But doing so in a way that doesn't put too much tax and strain on them as they come out of their you know, middle school season. So a typical kid who's 14 or 15 years old who may be in 8th or ninth grade may have just come off playing soccer every single day for their school team where they played a game every other day. And the days they didn't play, they trained. And on those days that they trained, they ended up scrimmaging. So they were, when they were on the field, giving 100% max effort for parts of that day or parts of that session. And so when you get into this part of the season for the first month, 
I would suggest that you get back to focusing on them playing soccer the way that your club wants them to play, the style of play that your club plays, focus on possession, focus on the technical skills, and allow their body to rest and allow their body to recover and allow their body to recharge and repair before the beginning of, you know, too far into the winter. Maybe work on their flexibility, maybe work on their recovery, teach them very good habits. And in some school systems, they're going to have those and others they aren't. So you never know what the kids are coming into the season from in terms of what school they went to or what kind of system or what kind of program they had in their school. So it's a great time when they all come back to get everybody on the same page with the importance of sleep, with the importance of nutrition, with the importance of rest and recovery. And don't be so in a hurry to get them training at 100% tempo right away so that they can compete. Now, those players that are 16 plus, who are high school athletes, who are in the end of their club careers, like 16, 17, 18, who are looking to go on to college, some of them may still be playing in the playoffs, or some of them are just coming off the season. And again, in the same type of a schedule, those players at that age likely played school soccer, they played games every other day, the the days they didn't um, play games, they trained often in the weight room or on the fields, and they did a lot of conditioning and running. So those kids are fit. They are in shape. So when they come into the season in November, the last thing I think you should do with them is try to condition them. Because first of all, conditioning soccer players in general, I think, is not necessary. Because if you are a good trainer and you know how to train players and run practices, the activities that you do in your soccer training sessions should be the fitness that they need for that sport. Again, if you are a good trainer, you should create activities in training that will provide them with the conditioning that they're going to need in the game without having to do extra conditioning, especially coming out of a high school season. Those players coming out of high school need time to rest. They need time to recover. They need time for their injuries or their little nagging injuries to repair so that when they start the club season, they're healthy enough to train. And then when you start your training program for for training to win or training to compete to win in the spring, when the showcase season starts and the games start, you kind of got them through that transitional period of recovery and rest. You introduce them back to the style of soccer that you're playing. And then the training that you do, I would say, should include resistance. And the resistance should be in that in the form of bands. I'm not a big advocate of adding weights or kettlebells or medicine balls. Now, while I do think those are very appropriate tools, um, I, I started a certification program a couple of years ago around CrossFit, and I stopped in the middle of it because, to me, it made no, no sense for me to be teaching any kid any kind of CrossFit. Now, there's some good, you know, the intensity of the training and some of the things that you do and the way you cycle the workouts and the way it's more of a high-intensity interval training piece. That part of it I kind of like, but most of the CrossFit stuff, there's so much strain on joints and muscles, and there's, it's so important to focus on technique that only the only time I would advocate for a player to do CrossFit is in a private one-on-one 
session with a certified instructor who is really being mindful of the technique. When you do soccer training as a team and you're doing group training, it's very important that you have enough staff to be able to correct technique, correct the form, teach it properly, monitor it properly, whether that's using body weight or a resistant band, doing jumping, bounding, leaping, ladders, hurdles, whatever it is, you need as an instructor to be able to monitor the load on the ankles, on the knees, on the hips, on the lower back to ensure that they're doing it the right way so that they don't get injured. If you're gonna do something so taxing and so physically demanding as say a kettlebell swing, in my opinion, that should be one-on-one in a very close environment where you can monitor the way that that kettlebell swing movement is, the way they get their hips under, the way they thrust their hips forward, and the way to not put so much strain on the lower back. Again, I'm not a fan of putting any kind of heavy load on the spine of a young athlete until they hit puberty. And then when that happens, I still like would advocate for doing that outside of a team training environment and more of an individual training environment where you're a lot closer in proximity so you can monitor their um, technique. So if you're going to do team training and you're going to do supplemental training and you're going to work on you know, fitness or coordination or agility, I would work on things that use their body weight. I would use, use things like multi-directional training, low box training, box jumping, jumping, bounding, leaping, running, cutting, and changing directions. All those things that they're going to need to use in the sport or any sport. And if anything, I would do plyometrics where they're using their body weight and focus on their whole body movement and functional training over specific training. Because again, kids that specialize in a particular sport may not have the opportunity to use the other muscle groups and the stabilizing groups. So do activities and exercises that train the whole body and not just those that are specific to the sport. And you're going to cut down on the number of overuse injuries and you're going to, and you're going to improve their overall ability as a person to be able to be an athlete and and an active adult as they get older. One of the things, regardless of the age, is when you do this training, it's about fun, starting at an, uh, an early age. And I see a lot of kids, they have a blast. The parents think it's great because the kids are having fun. But depending on what they're doing, right, if it doesn't, if it looks cool and the kids are having fun, but they're doing something that's dangerous or risky or could cause an injury, and the parents don't really know what they're looking at, and the parents themselves aren't certified in it, and the parents themselves don't understand biomechanics, and the parents themselves don't understand body and human movement, they're not, or they're not even there to watch, they're not going to know if that's a benefit to the kid or not. So I would really advocate looking at the credentials of the trainers. I would look at the credentials of, you know, the staff. And I would also be mindful of what they're doing at what time of year. Again, this isn't a knock on other people because I know there are lots of people that are in this business. I have a very close friend that is a personal trainer and has a sports performance company. But one good thing about what he does is that he is actually a a personal trainer. So he understands the entire system of the body. When I started out, I started out as a person, as a, as a soccer coach and wanted to get into performance training. I started off, you know, learning about, you know, becoming a, a personal trainer, which didn't really apply as much to youth sports. So then I got a certification in speed and agility and I thought it was great. And I got introduced by a guy by the name of Lee Taft in Indianapolis. And I subscribed to a lot of his stuff and learned a lot from him. And then I realized like, 
speed and agility is great and it's neat to have kids run through ladders but if you don't understand the load of the ankle if you don't understand the hip placement the knee drive the low back the hips the shoulders the toes if you don't understand that bodily alignment you may be not doing much service to the kid so i then went out and got a biomechanics certification and then i got a core conditioning certification and then i got a functional training certification and what i will tell you is i think that the core is probably the most ignored area of an athlete especially a kid of all and that is the most important aspect of a, a human body is the core the core is not just the abs, it's the lower back, it's the glutes, it's the hamstrings, it's the hips, it's the abductors and the adductors. It is all the muscles around the pelvis that support the lower back and the hips. And when you develop a strong and flexible core, that will have be more involved and more engaged in any athletic movement in any sport. And if you're not sure about it, think about the times as an adult where you had to reach up on the top shelf to get something heavy. And how your back felt when you grabbed it because your core is not yourself. Your own core isn't strong enough to support it. And anyone that has ever thrown out their back, now luckily, knock on wood, I've never thrown out my back. But I keep hearing about people that have these debilitating injuries where they blow out their back or they throw out their back and they, they you can't move. That's because their core is not strong and it's not supported. And so the, the muscles and the muscles are not supporting the spine and not supporting the bones and they're not flexible enough they're not strong enough and so as a result you know you get pinched nerves you get you know tweaked muscles you know all kinds of things can happen where as an adult you can get hurt so if that happens as an adult then why wouldn't you think that would happen as a kid you know as a kid they can recover faster from injuries they're a little bit more flexible so they don't really have like a structural injury but they could be doing minor little things wrong their entire lives that will lead into an injury later in life as an adult because they've never learned to move properly and they've never learned to strengthen and stabilize and be flexible enough around their core. So if you're going to do any additional training parents with your players in the winter, focus on skill acquisition. If you're going to do youth performance training, you have to understand this. Performing to compete starts at 15 or 16 years old. Learning how to train to perform is something that happens probably from 12 to 15 or 16, probably 12 to 14. And then body movement, skill acquisition, gross motor skill development happens before the age of 13. So 9 to 12. And there are a lot of people, and I would say this, you know, even when I created my own programs in soccer skills training for younger players, and it's amazing to see what the kids can learn, like coordination wise, that is certainly different than putting the body under load with resistance. And I've researched a lot of what the, the, the you know, the, the strength coaches have said about kids and about kid development, and they do believe in resistance bands, and I do too. They believe in the medicine ball. They believe in the kettlebell. They believe in light weights. And I said, again, in a private one-on-one -on -one environment or a really, really small group of two to three kids per trainer, that I think there's benefit to teach the kid that way. But in a large group setting or in a group training environment, that becomes dangerous if you're not there to monitor their um, technique and the way they're doing it. 
So in those environments, you want to create a fun environment. You can strengthen their core on the ground. You can use their body weight for plyometrics. They can do change of direction, jumping, turning, leaping, bounding, stopping, starting, and changing direction because there is very few times in a soccer game that a kid is going to run 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 yards. So to make them a better top-end sprinter, at least in my opinion, by focusing on their power at a young age, isn't going to get as big of a return as teaching them to quickly change directions and teaching them explosiveness over five or 10 yards, teaching kids quickness and and feet and balance and coordination to change directions over five or 10 yards, balance when they maybe draw contact by having a strong core, a steady base and very good balance. That is going to help a soccer player, you know, under the age of 16 or 17 years old. Now, when they become 16, 17, 18, and on their way to college, power, explosiveness, top-end speed, strength, that's going to make the difference. How quickly you can cover 10 yards, how high you can jump, will start to separate athletes in athletic performance. But really only then. Because primarily before that, it's just based on where they are mature, you know, from a maturation perspective. You know, the late bloomers are always going to be behind the kids that are early bloomers, right? Or the kids that are are naturally big and naturally strong and naturally fast. So that's a difficult thing to train at a young age. And you shouldn't train that at a young age. But as they get older, if they learn the proper way to train, if they get into the habit of that training and they learn how to move their body, by the time you add load, by the time you add weights, by the time you add pressure, by the time you work on power, They're going to have the good foundation underneath them, a.k.a. they're going to have the adding, the addition, the subtraction. Then they're going to add multiplication and division, and then they'll be ready for calculus at the right edge. But to start an eight or nine-year-old in calculus is a recipe for disaster. So parents, as you think about what you're doing with your kids on their winter training schedule, if if their soccer training schedule cycles off, Coaches, if you're looking to train your kids coming in, you have to understand where they came in from. So if they're the high school age kids, give the kids an opportunity to rest, relax, recover from injuries before you get right back into it. And everyone in the middle, think about like, what is that training preparing them to do? What advantage are you trying to get with that? Because everybody's athletic career and sports career is going to end at some time, and everybody's ends at a different time. So what you're looking for is you're, you're looking to create a healthy lifestyle, an active lifestyle. So even if they quit playing sports or the sport of their choice, that they still have the right kind of understanding of body movement, balance, and coordination that would allow them to become active beyond their competitive years into their adult years or even in their recreational years so that when they go to high school or college, if they're no longer playing on a team sport, but they want to pick up another activity, they're encouraged to have an active lifestyle, whether they want to start running or riding a bike or playing tennis or pickleball or whatever it is, that they understand how the body moves. They have good balance, coordination, flexibility so that they can be healthy as adults for the rest of their lives. And at the end of the day, that's really what you're trying to do, because here's what I'm going to tell you. Most of the top level training 
that people are subscribing to, that people online are trying to sell, is targeted to the, the one percenters. When you see someone in these systems, groundbreaking systems and things like that, you know, this is for what the top professional players use. There's a bunch of systems out there that the top professional athletes, you know, like, you know, Antonio Brown uses it. Le'Veon Brown uses it. You know, um, LeBron James uses it. Michael Jordan, whatever it is. Like, okay, I don't think a kid, I wouldn't advocate that a kid, a typical 11 or 12 year old kid playing club soccer in the suburbs should be doing the same kind of training that, that a professional athlete trains. Because those guys are elite one percenters. And guess what? They all developed at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, all the way up into their 20s. They built the same addition and subtraction and built upon that. So what you're seeing right now in the marketplace is the result of all of the foundation that they built over all of those years doing all of those things that I just talked about that they should be doing. And people like parents that want the best for their kids research that and say, I want the best for my kid. And I want to do what LeBron James is doing, but I want to do it in soccer. And there's nothing wrong with wanting the best for your kids. But guess what? When your kid is nine or 10, you need to research what LeBron James did at nine or 10. Not what he's doing as a 30-year-old professional athlete, top 1% of all athletes in the world. That is not going to get you very far. Unfortunately, there's not enough education out there for the parents to understand that. And then when I say this stuff, they get irritated and they say, oh, you know, we're not idiots, right? But at the end of the day, if you, if you did an internet search for your kid for, for development, would you say, hey, I want to find the most appropriate program for a mediocre to above average athletic 10-year-old? No, you wouldn't. You would look at what the top athletes in the world are using and try to give your kid that advantage and hope that your kid could train and develop at that level. And that's just the way it is in society. And that's the way it is in the United States. And that's just the way it is in the multi-billion dollar fitness industry and the multi-billion dollar youth sports industry. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. You're one click away from the best and only system in the world that everybody uses. When in fact, you really need to research and understand human body movement, childhood development, and long-term athletic development to really understand what your child should be doing based on how old they are, based on their body type, based on their size, based on where they are on their physical maturity curve, all of those things are things that should be factored into the type of training that they should do. And while I'm a coach and people ask me my opinion, I try to do my best job of giving them like an open-ended response based on who their kid is. Unfortunately, there are a lot of coaches out there, and I'm not saying in my local community, but there are a lot of coaches out there that will tell the parents what they think they want to hear or tell the parents something that would promote their own program, or they will tell the parents something that would put fear in their minds that if they don't do the program, their kid is going to fall behind. And in a lot of cases, it's just not true. So this is, again, the reason for this rant is because, again, I have a presence online. I have a company. I sell training. I sell programming for kids to get developed. I do it for fun, but I also do it for money. And there's so many systems out there and there's so many programs out there and there are so many people out there that are charging money for programming all over the United States and all over the world 
that haven't done the kind of research required to understand what an athlete needs at a certain period of time in their life or their age that are really doing justice to kids. And soccer is the few sport, one of the few sports, if not the only, that requires coaches to have a license to be able to teach kids the game of soccer. But just because they have to have a license to teach the kids the game of soccer, or just because they get certified and can pass a test on a type of physical training, does not necessarily mean that they have the experience of working with the young athletes and have done it a long enough time to watch these athletes from the youngest ages to the oldest ages and to stay with them long enough to see how that program impacts those kids year over year over year. So coaches, when you think about the programs that you're offering for your players, club directors, when you're bringing in outside resources to help train your kids based on their specialty area, you need to do the research and understand the due diligence required to make sure that it is appropriate for the developmental priorities of the kids based on their age or based on the workload that they're just coming out of or getting prepared to go into, aka winter training going into spring. The training cycle should change throughout the year at different iterations and in different intervals, and it should certainly be different based on the age of the athlete. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I hope I didn't ruffle too many feathers. I really don't care that if I did, I don't even know if anyone's going to listen to it. I think I've said that before. Um, for those of you who haven't have commented, that's great. I appreciate it. If you want to, if, if, if this is something that you're, uh, you have a counter opinion on, um, again, I'm no expert. I have certifications. I have licensing. I have experience. But that doesn't mean I'm an expert. I did do research before I posted this. It wasn't just purely my opinion. But I also I'm not citing my sources. I, I might write a blog article about it and then I will cite the sources. But this is just me ranting about what's happening today and what you should think about as a parent. And it's probably 20 minutes longer than it needs to be. If this is 23 minutes, I probably could have done this in three minutes to get the point across. But it's just kind of, uh, again, unstructured, unscripted, unrehearsed, unprepared. All I knew is that I wanted to talk about this important topic because it's timely and I have a lot of experience with different age kids and what they need at different ages. I've done research. I've tried it out and I've seen lots of things. So I wanted to share my opinion. So that's all. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to like and subscribe. Share this with those that you think might find this to be of interest. If you have a comment or would like to provide feedback, I'd love to hear it. If you'd like to come on the show sometime, it'd be cool to record a podcast with another person. And so if you're interested, you can hit me up at the contact information provided on my podcast. Thank you very much and have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.